So, Tom, welcome to the Dutch Hall. We have uh, normally, we, we, I've had on all kinds of great guests. We had Fred Eaglesmith. We had uh, Lucas Wilson. We've had, last week we had comedi uh, comedian Jason Allen. And the more I notice is that uh, you get in these great guests and the ratings just kind of like, they just sit there. What, what happens that people really like is when just uh, regular people come in the Dutch Hall and they shoot the shit and they have a nice shot of whiskey once in a while and... Uh, talk about the world around us so why don't we just try that and also i got a new secret weapon for this week it's freaks everyone loves freaks and so i see i th think that if we bring a freak show to life from the dutch hall then we can get some ratings what do you think about that you think we can do it sure we can all right let's do a shot and we'll play the theme song cheers buddy cheers ah relax and enjoy <laughs> Big finish. Well, thank you, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Life in the Dutch Hall. This is a very special episode, episode 30 of Life in the Dutch Hall. We made it this long. Who'd have thought that uh, a bunch of bumblefucks in the back shed of their yard would make it to episode 30? But here we are. And our guest today is uh, Tom Bowen. Thank you very much for coming, Tom. Hey, thanks for having me, Peter. That's the end of sound. That's the end of the sound. Have you ever listened to Life in the Dutch Hall before, Tom? No, actually, I'm a virgin to the Dutch Hall, and I figure this is the best way to... Uh, oh, yeah, baptism it. by fire. This is the best way to do it. You can see it firsthand what the magic is, right? We have... Uh, but you've been to the Dutch Hall a number of times as a, as a guest where we've uh, talked about the world we live in and life in general. Oh, definitely. This is one of my favorite places to come and hang out and uh, been uh, blessed to meet Peter a few years back and we've become close friends and we basically could sit around till four o'clock in the morning any day in the hot tub and talk about anything. And, yeah, anything at all. And that's what I like about having you down, Tom, is because sometimes when you have people over, when you get into some subject matter that's, say, a little bit more... Um, I don't know, deeper than what most people are comfortable with. Uh, some people will shy away or you can see their eyes glaze over, you know, if you get into a, a subject too serious. Whereas when I have you down, and there's a few select friends of mine, which I, which they've, most of them have been on the show already, where they, they're not afraid of it. They like to get into the subject matter full uh, head on. And uh, that's why I like having them in. So I've been waiting to get you on here for a while. So I'm really happy you're able to come in. And I appreciate that, Peter. I know you've probably been holding off on me because sometimes I uh, can tend to be a little bit of a wild card. But I'm going to try and behave tonight. And, oh, don't uh, don't behave! Please don't behave. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't work around here. It works a lot better if we just tell the, if we just tell the truth. Alrighty. Well, maybe not all the truth. You don't want to get you don't get in trouble with your wife. That's been the main thing I've been worried about is getting you in some trouble with your wife. Well, luckily I'm a I'm a good man and I don't really do anything to get into too much trouble. But sometimes I say things that that do get me in trouble. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, what I found and what is that there's a lot of women that listen live from Dutch Hall. I'm always surprised at how many women are, listeners I have, and uh, what I've gotten from feedback, especially from the guests that I've that I've had on, is their wives and girlfriends really like the show because even though their husbands out uh, gallivanting with me that night. 
you can at least hear what they're up to because they have the, <laughs> the recorded evidence of what we're doing, right? All right. Well, let's get at her. They don't know what we just did before and what we're going to do after, though. That's the thing. <laughs> That's the thing we get to keep to ourselves. <laughs> So basically, Tom Bowen is a uh, you know really a accomplished man. I, I, uh, he's uh, been really a jack of all trades, right, Tom? You've been uh, definitely, definitely. Uh, you know, for some reason, I just seem to get myself deep into projects and and make them uh, come to f a finality of sorts, and then like to change uh, change roles. So. I think back in the beginning, I started out as a teacher, and then I sold draft beer equipment, became head of international sales and marketing for a draft beer equipment company. That was a great job for a young guy. I got to travel all over the world and basically go to trade shows and drink beer. So that was a great gig. From then, um, I taught for a while. I actually taught at SCS uh, locally here and taught everything from computers to... I think the craziest one I thought was parenting, and at that point I hadn't hadn't been married and had no kids. So that was it was a Catholic? Was it a Catholic school? No, actually that was public school. Oh yeah, yeah. it was like priests that will teach you like how to how to you do your marriage training with like a priest, right? Right. And who's never been married before? And he's like, <laughs> oh, I don't know what to tell you. You know. Yeah, basically that's it. And then after that, I got involved with water treatment and um, run a couple of water treatment plants, and that's very interesting. But my background is in biology. I think originally I wanted to be a teacher, or not a teacher, but I think a doctor. But uh, unfortunately, after a two-year stint at Waterloo, I realized that uh, playing poker most nights and, and drinking heavily wasn't going to get me into the postgraduate school I wanted to. So eventually went and became a teacher, which in itself is a great uh, occupation. But uh, other than that, uh, now water So what made you get out? What made you get out of teaching? Uh, basically, a uh, personal issue. I uh, had family-owned business. We uh, own a water treatment plant in Turkey Point, uh, or my family does, and uh, Walkerton hit, and we had some issues we had to resolve, and being scientifically minded and an uh, engineer of sorts, I decided to uh, get involved with that and help out the family business. And since then, I've realized that it's much nicer to uh, work when you have to, but don't work all the time. Uh, Money isn't everything, and I do enjoy my free time. So yeah, that's what uh, it's been kind of like. I've been watching your model a little bit, and I don't know if it has <laughs> anything to do with what I did, how I blew up my life or not. But it it may have had a little bit to do with it because, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I basically found myself in a similar situation where I got away from the grind of the regular career for a while, and you realize there's other ways to do it that aren't nearly as uh, demoralizing as working for a big company or working for a big, uh, you know, even though it's nice and cushy, it doesn't necessarily, there's more out there in life than just that. Well, that's the thing. There's a trade-off. You do, uh, there's a, a lowered amount of stress, but the, at the same time, there's always an uncertainty, which uh, creates more stress. So it all depends on what kind of stress you prefer. Yeah. What kind of person you are, you yeah. know, for years and years, I'd look at those people in the well, I would. I worked in a bank, and then you'd go into the bank, and you'd see people that are sitting in the cubicles that are uh, putting up with the same garbage, the corporate spew that you have to hear and, and, and partake in, the language they try to shove down your throat, the, the way they want to control, like, every aspect of, your, of who you are. And you're like, this is bullshit, right? Like, everyone must agree with me that this is horrible. And then you see these people who are completely happy where they are and i just assume that everyone thought the same way i did but they don't you know like there's certain people that think working in the cubicle and looking at their ziggy poster and all that stuff is exactly 
uh, good because it's a good trade off for the money they get and the benefits they get or whatever the security that they can take comfort in. Definitely, it's all about security and it's all about uh, how much risk you want to take. Unfortunately, if you do choose that life path, you end up uh, with a ceiling and, and you're basically clawing ahead with the cost of living increases. So if you do want to uh, maybe live with the possibility that someday things could go really well for you, you have to always have time and that entrepreneurial spirit to try and start new things. So if you're working all the time and then you have nothing, no energy to come home to and not, there's no way to think about outside the box, then chances are very slim that you're ever going to accomplish anything that might be spectacular. Right. And I realized that a long time ago and... and would prefer to spend my life gambling as opposed to being comfortable. Yeah, you got a bit of pirate in you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I do too. I do too. I think that's it, it's like hustle, right? I think it comes down to hustle. Like there's guys out there that have hustle in them, and they just know they're going to figure out a way. Like they can make it happen. Mm -hmm. And for years, those were my customers. You know, you sit there and talk to these guys and uh, learn, see that they run these businesses, but. They, what they do is they have this hustle in them that you just, you can't put it, you can't pin it down. You know that no matter what happens in the business world, that they're going to be able to make the appropriate adjustments to figure it out. You well, know? that's the thing though. You can't, at the end of the day, if you're not hustling, if you're not performing, of course, then there's nothing, you're not bringing anything home. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people are, would just prefer to, to collect a paycheck. And I, I get that. And I'm doing that for teaching for as many years as I did. You know, the, the pension, the benefits, everything else are spectacular. But at the same time, you realize that there's going to become a time when you, you do retire. And if you're lucky, you'll be able to get us, you know, a trail or something down in Florida and spend your winters and maybe do a little bit of golfing. There's nothing wrong with that. But you're definitely not going to be driving around in your yacht. And I'm not saying that that's important, but that is interesting. You know, it's, it, it, the, just, the, uh, just living with the possibility makes getting up in the morning excite exciting i think so too it keeps you younger it keeps you like still in the game eh? you're vibrant still which is uh when you're in i just know it's like it was unbelievable you look at pictures of me from two years ago when i was banking and i just looked like a bloated old banker like i look like a freaking guy that like was like <laughs> succumbing to like i was morphing into those old gross bankers with where you can't tell where the belt's supposed to go in their pants you know what i mean <laughs> just gross and then i realized okay well there's another way to it and and i and i think the other thing too that people don't do or don't understand is that you don't have to spend every dime you make like if you're doing something you don't like then keep some of that money aside you know that you might need it someday to get yourself out of the Right, you're in, you know? Right, right. And, uh, yeah, that is important, too. Obviously, you know, you, you do what you can. And I see too many people best. that are that are at that stage of their career where they can count the number of digits left in the before retirement. So they're like, I have nine years left before pension. I can't leave now. Or I have, you know, 13 years left. I can't leave now. And you see that kind of, the what do they call them, the golden handcuffs or whatever, or you mm -hmm. see that they, they you almost, you know, you're almost there, but then they've you have nothing left for enjoyment anymore. You just have to stick it out to the end. And I was getting to that part in my career where I thought, well, if I get to the point where I'm making decisions based on this pension, I'm just going to hate myself because then I'll get to the point where I'm 55, I quit, 
and I just die. You know, I just end up wilting on the vine. But if I end up uh, saying I'm going to work till I'm 90 or till I'm dead, I'm just going to keep working, doing something or another, having things that are making money for me, then I will just uh, focus on those things forever and ever. Oh, man, I don't have to worry about the retirement plan. My retirement plan isn't going to hustle till I'm dead. <laughs> right? Yeah, that makes sense. And, and then and, set yourself up the appropriate assurance. And a lot of people, uh, and I've seen it uh, personally, I've seen age discrimination too. So whether you're ready to retire or not, or say you're in an example where you don't have a great pension plan and you don't want to retire and you don't really need to retire, but... They, once you hit a certain age, for some reason, a lot of corporations will consider you dead wood and they'll start pushing you out. Yeah, yeah. I remember watching a gentleman. Because um, they commoditize what you do and then they, they wait till you're to the point where they can get a cheaper person to do the same thing. Exactly. And they don't understand that your, your level of experience and the way that you can do it is more responsible and makes more money. It ends up, they, they discount that because they're just looking at strict numbers like i'll give you this goal and a younger guy that's getting paid half as much can hit that same goal but i'm going to exceed you know whatever i'm going to double my goal and i'm going to do it without having anybody uh you know go in arrears or go broke or whatever exactly so it's not really fair to to older people who should you know we don't respect our elders that much in society and uh, that tends to happen too so i guess like we're saying back in the beginning if you do have an entrepreneurial spirit then you aren't necessarily going to fall prey to a large organization, a company, or well, I'm even even, put, even a manager. You know, some of these people they get laid into their careers, and they some manager shows up that just makes their life horrible. Oh yeah, yeah. And they have no choice but to to eat it. Yeah, yeah. You, do, you you just have to like it's a, just a roll of the dice, which kind of idiot they're going to give you to manage you. Mm -hmm. And you could have a really good person that's going to make your life pleasurable, or you can have a person that's just going to be like. Uh, torture for you and, and if you're you should have the right to leave you know but it's hard they get you they get you so hooked on the on the gravy train mm -hmm. and it is pretty easy money like when you're on your own you do you have to you, you got your neck out there if you're working and hustling and things are going well you're going to do well but you can also lose your shirt in the same oh definitely and and not only that you can work really hard and barely barely scrape by which is unfortunate too and especially with the economy the way it's been and it hasn't been the best uh you know, it happens to a lot of people and you feel for them. But still, like you said, most most hustlers will figure it out and they'll they'll continue. And and hopefully they just don't uh, spend their days, uh, you know, working from the sun up to sundown. Yeah. Because that, that in and of itself is a tragedy as well. So. Yeah, yeah. But I like the fact you always got something on the go. I mean, you always have some reason to get out of bed in the morning. You know, it's going to be that way forever. Exactly. Like, uh, I, I met a guy today. Uh, we went to the theater tonight, and, and I met a guy I hadn't seen since I've been a kid. And uh, he asked me what I'm up to now, and I said I'm retired. And he was the first guy that didn't say bullshit, you know. <laughs> he's a, he actually said, oh, that's great, you know. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he's my age, too. He knows how old I am. So I, I think he would have. But it, in a way, I think that way. If I'm going to work this way till I'm dead, then I'm retired now. Right? right? Like, what's right. the difference? Yeah. So, anyway. Um, so, if you were, uh, I wasn't going to, I had one thing I wanted, that I was thinking of when you were saying that about, um, oh, I'm losing it, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be okay, buddy. <laughs> Let's talk about freaks then. <laughs> yeah, you want to go into freaks right away? Sure, I don't know. Whatever I don't know, it's you a want, big, it's, it's a big savior it, it's for your, me. It's your show, so we can turn it around however you want, buddy. Well, let's do feedback. We got feedback then, and we can okay. get that get some business out of the way. Alrighty. All right, feedback. We got feedback. We got feedback. <laughs> feedback. 
Welcome to Feedback. We got feedback this week, uh, episode 30. And this week's Feedback, We Got Feedback is brought to you by Amazon.com and Amazon.ca. If you go to the Live from the Dutch Hall website and click on the Amazon banner, uh, buy whatever you're going to buy anyways with Amazon. If you click on the banner on my website, it just helps out the show a little bit so we can continue to improve it every week. So do what you can. There's Amazon Prime link on there for you. There's, there's uh, great deals for back to school and all, there's all kinds of deals in there. Go look at, there's always a great TV sale that they have in there. TVs would really help me out if you need to buy a whole bunch of them, especially. And we can get a telephone thing in here and we can have live callers. That's what we want to do. So thank you very much for everyone who does support me. I have to say that there's some really good listeners of mine who do buy things from Amazon for me. And I want to make sure that I thank them every week. Also, as part of Feedback, we got feedback. We'd like to welcome our new listeners. And this week, we like to welcome listeners from Dundas, Ontario, Ottawa, Edmonton, Alberta, Bellevue, Washington, Antioch, California, Whitehawk, Whitehall, Pennsylvania, and Menasha, Wisconsin. So thank you very much, all our listeners. And this week's uh, Listener of the Week, we want to go, we, I always want to uh, name a Listener of the Week. Last week's Listener of the Week was actually Ice Girl 60, and Ice Girl 60 was so, so happy that she was named the Listener of the Week. She sent out a tweet uh, expressing her pleasure in being the Listener of the Week. She said she was blushing from the, from the honor of it all, which I thought was really cool. And then she sent out a picture of her doing the happy dance. And I've been uh, going back and forth on Twitter with Ice Girl 60 for some time. And I never saw a picture of her. Didn't know what she looked like. Her picture is only uh, like a troll doll kind of with a Boston Bruins thing on. And uh, so I went uh, and she sent me a picture of her doing the happy dance. And I got to tell you, it was a great picture of her. She's doing a, doing a nice dancing pose on a pole. She has beautiful form, uh, uh, toes pointed, legs straight. Just a really acrobatic picture that she sent me <laughs> but i did not know that ice girl 60 along with one of our other big listeners the haitian dwarf are both uh, little people and uh so it leads me to believe that uh, we have a strong following of little people life in the dutch hall which is interesting to me that i am such a you know a big hit amongst the little people community because sometimes my ignorance will show through on the show of course eh and uh I think Ice Girl 60 is considered to be a uh, dwarf because she doesn't look proportionally correct in every way. I hope you don't take offense to that, Ice Girl. But uh, the Haitian dwarf is uh, um, perfectly proportional in every way except for his uh, large genitals. Eh? Did you know that, Tom? <laughs> no. I yeah, never, you're new I've to the show. Gentleman, yes. Yeah, we haven't either. We've been looking for Haitian dwarf. We've had. Uh, Quite a few listeners send in uh, pictures that they think might be of the Haitian dwarf. Everyone's on the lookout for him. We had some listeners from California this week that sent us a picture of him on a beach in California. We're wondering if that's our guy, and uh, we don't know. We just keep we keep searching. We keep fighting the good fight, and uh, hopefully we'll eventually find the Haitian dwarf. But uh, this week, going back to Listener of the Week, Listener of the Week this week is Kyle Van Gronigan. again. Kyle Van Groningen has been a great supporter of the show, and I want to give him a free plug for an event he's putting on in uh, the Turkey Point, Ontario, at the T Turkey Point Marina. It is on uh, Sunday, August 3rd from 4.30 to 9 p.m. It's a live band party in TP. It's going to have none other than uh, two of the uh, frequent guests of Live from the Dutch Hall. Mike Bow and Dave Chires will be playing an acoustic set, followed by the Mushy Peas will be playing down in... Uh, 
Turkey Point on August the 3rd. So if you'd like to, go on to Facebook and uh, check out Kyle Van Groningen at, and, or look for Live Band Party and TP on Facebook and you'll get all the details. Otherwise, you can always just uh, email me at livefromthedutchhall at gmail.com and I'll get you all the details you need to know. Thank you for listening, Kyle, and you are the Listener of the Week. And now, we'll play this one right out. Haitian Dwarf. This is now our, we always like to check in with our good pal, the Haitian Dwarf. And this one is our iTunes feedback for episode 29. The Haitian Dwarf gave us five stars. Thank you very much. Five stars. His comments are, we heard something about a music festival happening in your neighborhood. Probably be a good venue for a dwarf tossing. Just saying. So obviously I think, uh, thank you, Haitian Dwarf. What he's referring to is Blues Fest, and uh, we were down at Blues Fest uh, this week. It was uh, at Lakeside Vista. They, I think the concert venue is called Frogs Hollow at Lakeside Vista. And uh, by all uh, purposes, this is the first event of the scale that they were putting on. And uh, Mother Nature was not kind to uh, the organizers of this event. But what you could see on you could see the potential on Saturday. Tom, you were there as well. Eh? Yes, could... I was. Actually, uh, yeah, Saturday you could tell that it, it, the potential was huge to, for a great time. And unfortunately, uh, actually, I pulled in and heard about three notes of music, and then unfortunately the rain started. So we everybody got to socialize and gather for a while, which was really a big part of it, especially considering our, our tight-knit community here in Norfolk. But it was a great event, and Sunday turned out absolutely beautiful and I brought my uh, wife and daughters down and they spent the whole afternoon dancing in uh, in some dust they had quite quite black feet when they got back but uh, they had a great time yeah it was great it was really good uh, I the uh, the sound guy that, that they had I don't know who he was but he did a great job like it for an, like an outdoor venue it sounded great the uh, the logistics that they had set up were great they had uh, good food vendors they had uh, Lots of community support. It was uh, it was a really good event. You can see how this thing's going to build in the future, and how and how if you do have a if you do have a, looking to book an event, uh, you're looking at maybe booking an event for a couple thousand people. Uh, it's a, this is definitely something you should look into. Frogs Hollow. They're you can find them online or on Facebook, or Twitter. Um, all the information you need. But very good job to all the organizers of Blues Fest. Thank you for having us, and uh, we look forward to the next event. So thanks a lot. That's feedback. We got feedback this week. Thank you, Haitian Dwarf. And uh, maybe I can get you and Ice Girl 60 uh, to, to meet each other. Maybe you're going through some similar things. And maybe you'd like to have a support group. And also, uh, Haitian Dwarf, I got to tell you, you keep saying good venue for a dwarf tossing. We've been looking for you. I'm telling you, I tell you week after week, if you will let me know uh, how I can book you, I will book a hall and I will toss you into a Velcro wall. This is going to happen in my lifetime. We just need somebody <laughs> to pull it off where we can find you and make it a spectacle that's worthy of your talents. And so just keep us in mind, Haitian Dwarf, we can get this thing booked. We're going to do it at one of the halls for sure in Delhi. I think it's going to be great. 
So. Hey, Peter, um, you'll have to update me a little bit. Now, you said the Haitian dwarf, <coughs> his genitalia were abnormal. Now, is this abnormally large or abnormally small? Well, according to, uh, he was vague about it, but it was also in a feedback segment where he mentioned it just in passing that he's atomic, anatomically correct in every way except uh, one except one member or whatever. Right, so I assume right. it's his, uh, his, his genitals, like he was hinting at that. And uh, but l large or small, I, I can o I only assume large. I think that was just my, uh, you know, my bias or whatever I, that he wouldn't brag I would, about. I would assume it is probably larger because actually I did um, it did when I got my biology degree. I did some human physiology courses and we talked about different body types, and as well genitalia with respect to that. I know it sounds uh, really as oh, part yeah. of your schooling. As part of our schooling, definitely. Now the. Um, uh, dwarfs, uh, their genitalia are abs absolutely normal size. So when you put the normal size penis next to their abnormally small bodies, of course they're going to be abnormally large. So it relatively like speaking, they're quite large. It's just like uh, if you have like small hands, it makes your dick look bigger. Like that? <laughs> I guess if you're holding on. <laughs> yeah, it's like putting a putting a dime, but it's got the it's got like the the caribou head on it, like the quarter. Yeah. And you put that about your dick just to make it look bigger when you're texting your girlfriend. <laughs> I don't know. I missed out on that whole that whole uh, world, eh? I never I've never texted a picture of my dick before. <laughs> well, for all of you single um, female listeners out there, I could give you a brief synopsis. Uh, we basically have three normal body types. We've got endomorphs, mesomorphs, and ectomorphs. Now, your, your typical fellow who might be a little bit uh, roundish, let's say big-bellied, um, smaller shoulders, not necessarily athletic, but, but big-boned and large, they tend to have um, abnormally small genitalia. Is it just because it's hidden amongst their fat because they're generally fatter guys? No, actually they are proportionately smaller, and it, it just has to do with your body type. The... Um, uh, athletic type build where more you have wider shoulders smaller waist tend to be middle of the road type genitalia and that that's quite normal and actually the the ectomorphs the, the big win the big winners of the, the the penis lottery are generally tall skinny skinny fellows so that's who you look for then the the the, the slender guys with the, like the long fingers most there, likely yeah there you go ladies so in case ah, you're and, you, and you don't actually you want to know before you know that's how you can tell Bean poles are what you're looking for, like real skinny guys, and they're packing heat usually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember I've played a lot of hockey over the years and seen a lot of guys in the showers, and generally, you know, especially in the, the later leagues where you're, you're working with adults, the guys that uh, have the bigger bellies, uh, they're more like a, an egg in a nest, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Basically. I played hockey with a guy who was, uh, he was, a, he was definitely a heavy set guy. Uh, completely hair covered, completely hair covered. <laughs> and it was just, and he'd stand there naked all the time, drying himself. And it was like, uh, it was just like he was, there, had like a mushroom that was just trying to poke food through the forest. <laughs> he just didn't care what one bit at all about it. Yeah. And guys too, don't feel bad. Some guys, uh, they call it the gladiator response. It's a physiological response to physical activity and blood gets shunted away from your core to your extremities. And some penises will shrink up down to basically nothing but wrinkles. Yeah, that was a huge, a, a huge uh, problem for me in, in high school <laughs> when we had to change. Because after, or even hockey, you know, you after you're done, you're been exercising, you look, you take your jock off or whatever, and you're like, where the hell did it go? Like honestly, I usually have more than this. And there was a guy in high school. I remember I was a loser in high school. I don't know about yourself, but I was a loser in high school, and. Uh, um, 
I wish I was a geek. If I was a geek, I, or, then I would have the power now because the geeks have the power now. Yeah, right? for sure. Or the, the nerds are ruling the world now. They're the new jocks, eh? Exactly. And uh, But I was a loser, and the, the, the things will never come into play for the loser. We'll never have the power. <laughs> but there was this one guy, popular jock at the time when the jocks still had the power, and he was uh, had a beautiful girlfriend. You know, we all liked this girlfriend. She was so nice and good-looking and stuff. And he was like Mr. Football, Mr. Hawk. You know, a real athletic guy. Girls mm-hmm. liked him. And mm-hmm. just a real dick, too. Like, he wasn't a guy that was ever, you know, being kind to us or anything. Anyway, so I remember being in, uh, I think we were doing some sort of swimming thing at the at the Gretzky Center in Brantford where I went to school. And, and he was changing afterwards. He was showering afterwards. He walked past us naked. And he had a tattoo on his genitals, like right beside his genitals, so it was like a green clover leaf or something that like would like attract your eye, you know? Seriously? Like, yeah, yeah. So he's walking through naked. This big, burly guy gets all these good-looking girls or whatever. His dick is so small. <laughs> his dick is so sm- and it brings your attention to it, like the 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 four-leaf clover, and you see this tiny little dick. And from then on, like he had no power over us. Eh? Like we just knew. That uh, every time he was being a dick, we're like, yeah, but you you have a small dick. Like that that, that it totally uh, disarmed him to us. He had no he had no power over us at all anymore. We could just we just knew he had a small dick. And even his girlfriend, we're like, what are you doing with that guy? His dick's so small. <laughs> but really, it was uh, it was probably just the fact that he was exercising the same way, right? Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They do shrink up. Well, I feel and, but- and girls will never girls they they might uh, brag about big ones, but they generally don't knock you down about little ones. And thank you for that, ladies. They don't. You don't think they matter? I think if, if a girl's had a lot of experience with guys, they probably would uh, maybe be more selective, don't you think? Well, I think they're less likely to say he's got a little penis and, oh, he's got a big penis, you know. I think they kind of leave that private because they know they could crush a man with something like that. Not that I've, I'm worried about it, but, you know. Yeah. Well, I would be. What if you're with a girl and your, your equipment doesn't work? Like, you're not, it's not working at all. And then... Uh, Blame it on the booze. Yeah, that's humiliating. I think even more than dick size. <laughs> if it didn't work, you know? <laughs> I'm just terrified of it all. That's why I stick with my wife. I figure if I'm staring with my wife and I don't have to wonder, then, uh, you know, she knows my shortcomings or or, or whatever the opposite of that is. I've never had to work, deal with it. But the... But then she would at least, she, as long as she's okay, you know, she stays with me long enough, and we've been together for so long, I just tell her that I'm gigantic. <laughs> and she believes you. She has no way of knowing any different. <laughs> and you just say all that stuff in the movies, that's just all, like, prosthetics and magic of... Oh, it is. It's all It's all video. I remember I played hockey and, and ran track with a guy who was probably only about five foot five at the most, but speed really, really fast. And very handsome fellow, but, you know, once again, showered with him many times, never had anything quite all that spectacular. And then one day, all of a sudden, he shows up. He's in uh, Playgirl. Was he's in Playgirl, this he guy you know? He was in Playgirl. It was a big, big thing in my hometown. Everybody was quite uh, happy for him. Yeah, that's a big deal. It's 5'5"? Five, five? Yeah, he was tiny. And but he had a, was he packing? Did you see the... Up, the, the well, no, he wasn't packing, but I did see the, uh, the, spread? the... The spread? And basically, and I talked to him afterwards about it, and he said they use elastics. Oh, to tie off the bottom? Yeah, like to just give it a little chub, you know, get rid of uh, the wrinkles. Yeah. And, uh, How, who bought... Did women ever buy that magazine? I don't know. They did in my hometown when he was in there. Yeah, yeah. Did he do well with the women? Uh, yeah. Well, he is a handsome fellow. Do you think it did, he did better because of the magazine? No. You know what? He we, he never did move back in, back home. He had moved to Hawaii and actually was uh, dancing as a male dancer. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, to this day, I still follow him on Facebook every once in a while. And he's still in Hawaii. And 
His, he's got about 5,000 Facebook friends, and they're all females. So yeah. <laughs> I don't know. He's doing he okay. seems to be enjoying his life. I remember there. we went to, my a friend of mine went to school in uh, Nova Scotia. And uh, Peter North, you know Peter North? Peter mm -hmm. North was a great Canadian porn star. Oh, really? No, I don't From Nova Scotia. From Nova Scotia. Oh, yeah. He was known as the Load Man. The okay. Load Man Cometh. <laughs> and he was, he was well world-renowned, Peter North, for, the, for his gigantic loads. Eh? That's, what, uh, that's what his skill set was. Oh, eh? I'm sure the girls just loved him. Not. And <laughs> he said he had a lot of his secret was uh, diet. He said a lot of it was diet and hydration. And he said some of his secrets will go to go with him to the grave. Eh? He didn't want to give away his trade secrets, which would allow him to produce like an an exorbitant amount of man seed. Eh? <laughs> it was just oh yeah. If you ever if you if you haven't checked out his work, you know I'm sure there's compilations you can see online of of. Peter, Peter North. Peter North. So is that where the North came from? Because he's from Canada? Probably, yeah. Probably, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyways, my buddy went to school in Nova Scotia, and uh, Peter North came into town and to his university. And uh, the, he said he could not believe the flock of women to, to him, you know, like because of the – it was just this alpha uh, – alpha pheromone that he gave off or something that people just knew this guy was built for sex and he was good at it and the women wanted just wanted to be around him because of it really? i would have thought it'd been like poison that women would have stayed away from him. like he's creepy you know well i would think they'd have the opposite effect you know like really like they really want a guy with the monster's penis and and super huge loads like i don't know yeah like I, kinda, <laughs> yeah. a little bit much the curiosity gets the better of you i think that must be what it is like the curiosity of like this guy this world-renowned for what for like whatever he's got in his pants like they're just curious too curious they had to see it but i was surprised at that i remember being surprised at the the, the account that he was that this guy was doing so well with the ladies peter north because he kind of looked like a monkey too like he wasn't like an attract like an overly attractive guy i guess he was fit enough but he was big down the and when when porn was like uh in the VHS days, like he was owning, he was a big deal. There was yeah. probably like a handful of guys that were like at the top of the mountain in that industry, and he was one of them. Like he, I don't think any of them, if I recall, were all that good looking. Ron yeah. Jeremy, to be proof positive. <laughs> yeah, Ron Jeremy. Yeah, is not never for his looks. Eh, I guess when he was younger, he was all right, but he had that like schmarmy, like big mustache, and like he's always hairy and yeah, a little gross. <laughs> but I guess he was he had he was blessed in other ways. Eh, blessed in other ways. Most of it's about wood in that industry. Most of it's about if you can perform, like with the camera crews and the. They take the romance out of it, but you still your mechanics have to work strong, for it to do. Now with medicine and you know Viagra and Cialis and all that stuff, I think they have help. But uh, back in the day, when you had to do it just on on will and force, you know, like uh, it was only the true talents. And if you were ugly, but you could get uh, hard at the drop of a hat and and perform and do what they tell you to do, you're in, right? Yeah, it reminds me of that movie Boogie Nights. Yeah. yeah, Boogie Nights is great. One of my favorite movies of all times. So. Oh yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, I love that one. That was based loosely on uh, John Holmes, eh? Okay. John, that Marky Mark character is kind of loosely based on John Holmes, mm -hmm. who was brought in as an innocent guy with a huge hog, and then uh, over time became you know addicted uh, to drugs and and hanging out with all sorts of unsavory characters. Well, it was the seventies. Yeah, <laughs> I think that, I think that of, was the norm, wasn't it, back then? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think so. I mean, if you think about it with drugs back in the 70s, they didn't have a lot of data yet, right? Well, the war on drugs hadn't begun yet. You know, the uh, the Reagans, I think, pushed a big part of that. I mean, especially Mrs. Reagan. It was all about, you know, yeah. remember, remember when the propaganda started. 
Yeah, the war on, yeah, the this is your brain on drugs, that sort of propaganda, yeah. My high school career was funny that way. We started out um, in grade nine when I went to high school. It was pretty much when you walk through the smoking area and the parking lot, it was like a Turkish bazaar. You know, the guys might as well had tables out. They were selling, there was every different type of joint. It was a buck a piece for homegrown and three for five and $2 sensi joints. And then everybody was selling acid. And it was just really crazy. Just like where? Outside in the smoking area? Or yeah. Something? Oh, yeah, yeah. At my high school. And there was tracks nearby. Like you could walk off property and go to this old abandoned railroad tracks that were next to a park. It went, and that's where pretty much everybody went. And they would sit out. People would wait, and they'd have people watching for the administration, and somebody would yell, Mason, who's our vice principal, and everybody would run. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it was crazy. But my point being that back then, you know, it took five years, basically. So in grade nine, it was scary, crazy. And it was like the the last of the real long hairs. Um, I think it was early, early 80s. And, you know, other than the guys who played guitar and wanted to have long hair and be a rock star, people started sh cutting their hair shorter and and the the all the propaganda started you know the the classic uh, frying pan with the, the the egg yeah yeah you know this is your brain this is your brain on drugs well that was the start of it all it was the start of the propaganda machine really the brainwashing of america and can or north america and at that stage i remember um things tapered off really quickly so by the time i graduated from grade 13 which we had back in those days which was nice uh Pretty much all the drugs were dried up in our yeah. school, you and, know, and, and the smoking area too. Like everything just changed very dramatically and very quickly. Yeah, I noticed that too. Even when I was in high school, like the people who I knew that were a bit older than me, it was a whole different story. Like the ones that were finished, like the early '80s or even late '70s or something like that. Those guys' high school experience was uh, there was so much different drugs and stuff they were dealing oh, with, fighting and drugs and and yeah like they'd try anything and speed too back then people used to do a lot of speed so. yeah i think acid was the big thing in my high school and but i never saw it like i i i just was a blind to it. like i really was blind to it. i saw guys putting little tablets under their eyelids like on the bus on the ride home because they heard Jimi hendrix did it or something i guess like that. i don't know i don't think it turned out very well for him but no no probably not which uh yeah, like it's a difference. Like back in those days, even like a lot of those drugs weren't illegal yet. They hadn't had the, and even now, it, and nowadays, you know, like stuff like bath salts and uh, they they change the chemistry of the drug slightly mm -hmm. and then it's no longer on the illegal list. Exactly. They mix a bit of bleach or something with it and then, and then now they got another drug that they don't have on the list that they can get. And there's still stuff like... Uh, I don't understand that stuff. Like salvia, you know salvia. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, can't you just get that in a store? I don't know. They may have regulated it by now, but you could. But uh, there was a time there where you Definitely, could just get it in yeah. a store, and it would mess people up. It wasn't. Uh, it's, no. What is it? Synthetic or is that real stuff? No, I believe it's a, a plant extract or a type of plant. Yeah, I, mean, I don't like the looks of what it does to you. Like, I mean, even I know like people that smoke a lot of marijuana that would that tried that stuff, and they said, "Oh, it's just crazy." I don't know why anyone would want to do it. Yeah, no, and the, the oops, sorry, the kids of today are um, are are weird now with their drugs. Uh, you know, everybody of course still sticks to the the marijuana, but it seems to me like I'm hearing a lot more about like oxys and heroin, and uh, it's scary. You know, you hear reports yeah. back from the Catholic school, and yeah, it's a lot of uh, ecstasy, um, MDMA, MDMA yeah. yeah, all these drugs. I don't, I don't really understand. You wonder. I mean, that's the thing with. Uh, you know, the, the the argument right now with the liberal government is that, uh, well, they're supporting 
going to a, a legal system in Canada, mm-hmm. all for like for recreation legal, similar to what they have in Colorado and Washington. And the current system is a medical system. And uh, I think that they, um, like the more, the, the more that uh, barriers they put up for people, the more, the less likely they're going to have to, like they're actually going to, the liberal strategy is that they're going to prevent kids from going to it because they're going to have more regulations to control it. Where right now, the reason that they're going, turning to drugs a lot of times, and then and in this case, just marijuana, is because it's easier to get than it is to go to a liquor store with ID and get and get it. Or if they were right. able to put those controls up, that would prevent kids from getting it, but still make it accessible to the general public. Then it should actually make more control for the youth that right. would prevent people from from uh, from buying the stuff. Well, up. anytime you regulate a, a drug or even regulate it in terms of um, legal regulation, like alcohol or tobacco, uh, you you will see a decrease eventually once the black market evacuates that 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 particular product because as long as the black market's available then kids will have access right right and what they're doing in uruguay was they were they were uh, offering uh marijuana at a dollar a gram i think it was mm-hmm. uh and no tax no tax on it at all in order to to kill the black market. They have a strategy for so many years that they're going to try to squeeze out the black market there. Mm-hmm. And then probably when, and then when that becomes less profitable for them, then they'll slowly ratchet up the taxes until it becomes a problem again, just like with cigarettes or anything else where you, you have booze or you tax it to death until the bootlegging starts. And then, then you cool down the taxes again until people can afford it or and, right. and it's constantly trying to battle how much money you can get before you upset the apple cart. Right. Well, considering we're in the Dutch Hall, it's funny when you look at their system, uh, they have found a marked decrease in drug use amongst younger uh, teens and younger people. The reason is basically the destigmatization. Like, you know, you go to Europe and you go to an outdoor concert and girls will be running around with their tops off. Kids are all exposed to that. Nobody looks at a breast the way they do in North America over there. Right. They don't care. It's totally There's no stigma attached to it. And same with the drugs. And People I've talked to from Holland, um, basically the attitude there, it's all social now. It's not all, it's not about what drug's good, what drug's bad, uh, pot's good, marijuana, uh, alcohol's good, alcohol's bad. It's about how you use it, and that's how they look at it. You're viewed, you're not viewed for what you're doing, you're viewed for how you're living your life with that in you, as part of your life. Yeah. And they, they don't take highly to addicts, they call them. Anybody in moderation, everything's fine. They don't really care. Right. As soon as you become addicted or become less socially able to act responsibly or to work, that's when then you, you now become a, a hindrance. And they found that there's a decrease in that. Yeah. Well, I would see when I went over to Amsterdam, um, that you'd go to a coffee shop and you would see people coming in on their lunch break, like young women and, you know, professionally dressed. Like they come in on their lunch break, they roll a doobie. They'd smoke it and then they'd go back to work, you know, mm-hmm. and they, by all accounts, seemed like they were performing uh, like any other professional would. Like they don't seem like they've messed up. I don't know for a fact, but it seemed to be more just accepted as day to day. And it wasn't these feral hippies or whatever that are sitting around like trying to get get high. It was just more ex- like part of their day to day program. Like some people would stop and have a cup of coffee and, you know, whatever or take their Xanax or whatever you're, or I don't know. What's Xanax? Is that a sleeping pill? 
Which one's the one that kind of makes you like it's an antidepressant? Is that Xanax? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't, uh, know. I don't know. I don't much know much about. I don't watch. I don't take pharmaceuticals. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got a pharmaceutical drugs. We got a pharmaceutical guy coming in uh, in August from California, and I'm I'm interested to hear what he's going to say, especially about their t- like what he sees the pharmaceutical companies talking about with regard to marijuana, because uh, as it becomes more and more like accepted, it seems like all across the United States, the, if you're not going legal for uh, medical, you're going legal f- for recreation, and it seems most of the states are slowly starting to see the dollar signs in it start to realize the social implications aren't that great that uh the public appetite is is for it now mm-hmm. um and then so you're seeing this big shift but the public perception i think hasn't or is going to be lagging behind it like i think uh i went to colorado with my wife and we saw we went to the dispensaries to check it out to see what how they're handling it and we saw how people were using the product on the streets and with the exception of those crazy, like, kind of like those, the same kind of dirty hippies, the stereotypical, like, uh, guy holding up the hemp sign and, you know, looking dirty and, and, and burned, burned out, you know, mm-hmm. those guys are in the, still in the public square dancing around smoking doobies. But most of the other people are in the smoking area with the rest of the tobacco smokers and mm-hmm. sneaking away, you know, just taking their odd hoot and going back on their business, you know? Well, the people that truly benefit from that sort of system, I believe, are the people who have experimented like everybody will not everybody, but a lot of people will experiment with marijuana throughout their lifetime. And some people will take it and then they'll leave it. And the reason they do that is because for whatever reason, it doesn't make them feel good. You know, they don't, they don't enjoy the feeling they get from it. They don't enjoy, I guess, uh, the way that their brain functions under it. But the people who, you know, for the most part, unless they're extreme escapists who are maybe trying to cover up some sort of uh, history uh, some sort of damage and they're just using the drug to escape. I think people who use it habitually, like the woman you said or over in Holland who comes back to work, they're using it for a much different reason. They're not using it to escape or to be high per se. They're using it because they've found over time that using it changes their way their brain works and it allows them to actually function better. And the reason for that is because some people have difficulty and it. it could be uh, genes that are triggered uh, during their early years uh, due to the way they were parented or, or, up, or their upbringing or for whatever reason are unable to filter out maybe a lot of outside stimuli. So uh, like an, an autistic person, for example, now people, everybody can have different ranges of that sort of uh, brain activity. but. You know, everything becomes very confusing and they're easily distractible and they have trouble focusing and, and really not able to focus on what they need to. Now they find that by using marijuana, it, it does slow down your brain and it allows you to filter out a lot of these outside stimuli that, that you know, most people don't even realize are there because their brain's already doing it for them. Do you know, is that the THC or the cannabinoids in it that does that? Do you know? It's the, the broad spectrum of chemicals all working in concert. They call it the entourage effect. Um, actually, the C, uh, CBDs are, are considered more of a relaxation, um, anti-stress molecule. So they can actually slow you down. Now, uh, it's a pretty deep concept to think, okay, you're changing your brain and making you more functional by using a, a chemical. So, um, 
there's not a lot of studies out there proving it. What it what it really is is just day to day um, testimonial, I guess. There's people who just seem to function better on it, and yeah. their their lives are are made better by that, and that's why they end up developing a need for it. You know, some people. Yeah, and, and you and think it, that it doesn't have to be an unhealthy need either. It can be a mild. Maybe they dose themselves mildly throughout the day, but it just allows them to focus. Right, and I think that uh, we've seen a lot of the change. That what I've noticed is that now because it's become more of the the mainstream um, uh, topic of conversation, it's not so much in the fringes, and people are starting to hear about it, like uh, baby boomers especially, that were kind of. Uh, the most affected by the whole stigma surrounding the war on drugs, like those ones, those people are kind of firmly set. Like their their value system was kind of solidified during that period of time, mm -hmm. and they still have this stigma that the marijuana is uh, an addictive drug and for the underbelly of society, and they don't see. It. But now they start to hear this kind of like where you're seeing the medical community kind of embrace certain elements of it. You saw like uh, Sanjay Gupta from CNN actually went in with a preconceived notion to do a do a report or like a series of uh, of shows where he was going to show marijuana is that they're kind harmful. of duping us that it's yeah, yeah that, that, that it was going to be harmful and he, he he changed his the way he looked at it because of some of the findings he saw and mm -hmm. that was uh, predominantly due to the uh, the the results on seizures and childhood seizures and stuff like that right. and there's been a lot of kids moving to Colorado to get this medicine um, where people have like altered the gen like they've they've honed in on the genetics that actually help the that particular ailment, mm -hmm. and it's not so much in the THC; it's in the it's in the cam or the the CBD. CBDs. Yes. Well, you know the, these these chemicals do slow down your brain processes, and you know if they put you on a, a machine that will look at your brain activity, you see that that you know seizures are are nothing but like un regulated and, and super fast brain activity it's like lightning bolts in your in your brain and these lightning bolts the only way to keep your brain can either fry from them or it has to send the electricity out into your body and it, it gets translated into uh, mus muscular contractions and things like that and that's why they seize so any because marijuana does slow down your brain activity and they've shown that it doesn't mean that it's good for everybody if you've got a, a normal functioning brain and you, you take this drug, then you're probably going to be less than less than good. But if you have an overactive brain, then you can find the level of drug that you want to take to to slow down that process. So these these seizure kids are amazing because the poor things are having seizures, you know, ten twenty a day, and they give them these CBDs and they stop. Yeah, like they were, they're having the one girl that they were showing Charlotte, who they've named the strange Charlotte's Web after. Mm -hmm. They were uh, she. She was to the point where it was debilitating her development in every way because she was having 300 seizures a day. Mm -hmm. And now she's down to, I think they said one or two. And she's like riding bikes and, you know, behaving like a normal child again. So you'd never, you wouldn't have heard about her 15 years ago. Wouldn't have had a clue. No. Chance, you'd never hear about it. And she would have been left to suffer. Yeah. It's the internet. Well, I mean, somebody might have figured it out for her and she might have been fine, but we still wouldn't have heard about it. Yeah. You know, this, this is the thing now with, um, it's hard to keep this information under wraps anymore. So yeah. people are are awakening. And but and what I what I what I was getting at with my point was that if you had a like let's say an old baby boomer who's pissed off at or who's got these preconceived notions about marijuana as not as being like all a crock of shit or whatever, mm -hmm. and then uh, 
they're sitting there. Their bodies are breaking down at this point in time. They're dealing with chronic aches and pains. They don't like the fact their life's in the stage that it's in. So they're dealing with uh, anxiety and depression issues with, with mm. these major changes in their life. Um, they have a number of different ailments that possibly could be uh, benefited from this. And uh, now that it's become more mainstream, I know I, I've, I've heard lots of incidents of people who are in fact, I've read that uh, geriatric use of marijuana is actually the number one of the number one growing segments is mm-hmm. is for geriatric use, and a lot of these people don't want to smoke it. They want to they want to eat it, or they want to ingest it in some pill form, or they want to eat it in the form of a baked good or something like that. And I find in Canada, we're concentrating only in the medical community or in the medical field. We're concentrating on the raw product, they're, they're regulating everything around how you can give away the raw product, but they're not allowing the, the spinoff stuff, like the, the value-added process. They're right. not, and even in Colorado, they didn't have that game down. They said you, they, they knew how much just weed you could get, but uh, you get so much per day. But the edibles, because of the way it's processed, you could get like 10 times more. And uh, they said that they're giving so much edibles out. Anyone that's having problems with the new system, it's just because they ate too many edibles right. and they're giving too much away. Well, that's over eager- eagerness because a lot of people don't have the patience to wait for an edible to take effect. Yeah, yeah. And they eat too much and then they, they get slapped in the face with it. Um, edibles actually are the easiest way to control dosage. I mean, uh, marijuana potency from top to bottom of a plant can vary significantly. So bud to bud, if you're just getting raw product, yeah, yeah, it varies considerably. But if you take a derivative, whereby you're you're making a uh, basically a, some sort of oil-based product, doesn't matter whether it would be coconut oil mixed in a capsule or butter mixed in some sort of baked good. If you take that that base product that you're using, you can actually figure out and make it consistent for everybody. And and a lot I've seen some, um, which is way more prescribable, right? Like it's sorry about the interrupting, but it's way more prescribable. It's way more controllable. Oh, definitely. You figured they would embrace that aspect of the industry rather than try to. Because as long as it's still considered to be a narcotic, then they will never back down on on doing something that could potentially concentrate the drug. And that's what these derivatives do. They get rid of all the, the waste product, things you don't need, and they concentrate them up into, you know, a form of oil or maybe hash or something like that. And, I mean, that's what... Uh, and they're do. afraid that it's too strong? Like, it's, it's going to be too... Or it's going to be... They can't get a hold of it because it's... it's or what, what would they be the... They just have harder... harder uh, narcotic laws are harder on derivatives. So they can't, they can't make the turnaround. They can't say to themselves, okay, we've been fighting, you know, our... our, our um, our focus has been on stopping marijuana, but we even give you harder sentences if we find you're dealing with hashish or derivatives or something that's more that's stronger. So they've demonized that and they've made it worse. Right. Okay. So possession of those carry a much harsher sentence. So that's in the new regulations for like the Canadian, like for the well, change. Well, no, those are the old drug laws. Oh. So, but with the new ones, they haven't even they did when they were writing the legislature. I don't believe they even t- touched the derivatives because they were already considered to be worse than. Oh, okay. Right. That- so they never thought it through, and unfortunately, you have lawmakers who maybe a lot of them are lawyers, and maybe like I'm sure a lot of them are potheads, but they're still self-preservationists. Yeah, and, and they so they write these laws up, and they don't think it through all the way. Yeah. You know, and they should have definitely brought derivatives in. It's unfortunate because when you, especially when we have good models south of the border that you can 
see like you can see them in practice mm -hmm. and how they're working and i think that we would do a lot better if we like looked outside of our own thing well let's just uh, you know to put an end to this topic, I, I guess that the great thing is that A, people know more about it now. Um, B, there seems to be a big change in perception and the way that the government and lawmakers are dealing with drugs and the court system, or at least marijuana. Of course, other drugs are still very harmful, but I don't believe that this one is. But we're making a change in something that we would never have seen 10, 15 years ago. So yeah, now that there's a perceived money behind it too, like now that there's a, a shift in other forms of industry where they think there's going to be money in this in this green rush, mm -hmm. they uh, are putting a lot more money into research now. Research being published because it's a, the public's taking an interest in the matter right, right now. Mm -hmm. So we are getting some real progress, which for year, which is it's better late than ever but at least it's happening now so there's a lot of good things that are happening and i think the social implications to the negative right now what we see are like really insignificant if anything they're positive like a lot of the data that's been coming out of colorado has been decreasing crime rate you know there's been of course the medical data that we've talked about already and then there's mm -hmm. been the, and the negative connotations to society has been and I don't even think I can't even I don't remember reading a report that said anything really bad about it. No, there's it, a, there's always those naysayers on the far right that are like about your, you know, your cab driver is going to be stoned driving you to the airport or whatever. But and, they do have laws in place in California for you know you can't be stoned. They can find out if you're really stoned. Somebody's going to know you're you're because you, you know, it's all within moderation. Once again, like in Holland. If yeah. You're, if you're, you know, if you're going out and irresponsibly smoking all kinds of weed and then jumping in your car, that's a little silly. Yeah, but the, the, they can't. It's one of those moving, moving things, though. It's like, uh, how do you? It's the same with like prescription medication, though. If you're on an antidepressant prescription medication by your doctor and you take too much of them and you're driving a car, you're impaired and you're you're going to be subject to the the laws as far as impaired driving right hard to find out though but if they can well, tell same with impaired, test for impairment i guess how do they impaired. test you for for marijuana uh it's saliva tests they're talking about right now they've already come up with it but the the levels are quite low so basically uh, you know people are gonna have to be very careful because it's like there's no there's no data to support that Marijuana affects everybody the same way, especially if you're driving. It's hard. It's so subjective, right? Yeah, and, and government doesn't work that way. They just set. Yeah, even set for drinking and driving, and, though. Yeah, there's just limits. I had a friend of mine. He said he thinks you should be able to go for your driver's test uh, and drink beer. You know, like so you have a graduated license. So, like you can drink, like say you drink six beers, and then you go for your driver's test, and you show that you've drank the six beers. And I pass my driver's test with flying colors, drinking six beers, and I can drink six beers. Right. Like you take a breathalyzer and you say, like, at point two, I'm a good driver. Right. Yeah. And yeah, then and until the kid runs out chasing the ball in front of your car and you're. Yeah, but if I'm a point two driver, it had nothing to do with me. Then yeah. I'm allowed to drive it. You that. could still pass a driving test, but it doesn't mean that you can pass a life and death situation where you need your reaction times, and alcohol has been proven to slow down your action time. So I know what you're saying. Some people Remember Dr. Johnny Fever on on WKRP in Cincinnati? I don't recall that. Did one. you ever watch that show? No, I loved it. Oh yeah, Doc, he he they were doing testing his reaction time on booze, but Dr. Johnny Fever actually increased in speed. He was actually more efficient on booze. <laughs> so <laughs> he was spoiling their whole thing. It was right? a great show. I love the turkey drop. Yeah. That was my favorite episode of all time. 
Yeah, that's when they still made shows like that. They were they were good. I love that. I always liked uh, Les Nessman, the baseball one where he had to catch the baseball and he hears the violin lessons and then he catches the ball at the end. Do you remember that one? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I didn't remember that one. I wish that my brain was full of something other than that the, the every WKRP episode from there. I can still name probably the real names of every person on the cast of that show. And that is no... No value to my life at all. It adds absolutely nothing, right? <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Hey, when you go to, I have a question. We'll change the subject for a minute. If you go to like, um, like we were at Blues Festival this week, and you go to Blues Festival, and you know there's a lot of like free spirits at a, a music festival like that. You know, there's a lot of people that just don't give a shit, it seems like, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And I consider myself to be someone that probably gives not too much of a shit. Like I, I'm working towards giving no shits at all. That's my end goal in life. <laughs> well, you're getting there fast. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, but, but like, um, the most people that don't give a shit, like, uh, I don't, I, I like them all. Like if you're out there and you're letting your freak flag fly and you're doing your own thing and whatever, I'm all for it. Like enjoy yourself, but don't bring me into your shit. Like, I, I'm just like, I want to sit here. I'm, I don't, I don't care either. But I like to sit with my arms crossed and enjoy it my way. But I don't need to be uh, dragged into the drum circle. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly. What you're you know, just because I don't have a f gargoyle tattooed on my neck doesn't mean I'm not a. I don't give a shit. You know, I, I, I like it the same way you do. I just don't show it the same way. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I always feel like it drawn into this madness every time I go to a show or something like that. And I'm like, and they're all saying like, "Why are you having a good time?" I'm like, "I'm having a fucking good time. Leave me alone." Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just because I just because I'm not like whooping it up or you know. Well, you know, it takes all kinds. You always got some guys sitting down in a concert, and you always have other people that never sit down. You're I like mean, a Grateful Dead guy, though, right? Like you were oh like, yeah. The, oh yeah, so I you get that. right into it. You just like, do you, do you submit yourself to the music? Isn't that what the Grateful Dead people do? Well, that yeah, definitely that was uh, that was it. But it was that had something to do with the chemicals. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I think if you didn't uh, let let it all hang out like that, that uh, you'd probably just explode from too much energy. So, the, there's uh, not a rock band that's like that anymore. Like, mm, there was Fish, really. right? Fish. And, but they're done, aren't they, pretty yeah, much? Yeah, yeah. And then, like, and now all those guys are, it's kind of, that community's been kind of replaced by, like, the techno shit. Like, all the electronic music, I think. The people, if they were born, like, 30 years or 40 years or earlier, they would be Grateful Dead fans, but now they're in that. Well, now it's eat, sleep, rave, repeat, right? Yeah, yeah. That's the big thing now for these kids. And do you get it at all? Uh, not for not for twenty four hours. I could maybe check it out for an hour and maybe get it, but uh, no. It looks to me like everybody's really, really high. Yeah. These poor kids, and oh. you know, you always have uh, bad things seem to be happening to people. And yeah, I, I like the dancing though. I really enjoy that that rave style foot shuffle dance that they do. It looks like it'd be fun, but I'm way too uncoordinated to yeah. pull that one off. I'm too uncomfortable. I went to a rave one time when I was in London, England. I was going to school there, and uh, we went to. I, it was I was like never been to a big city really, and I, I was living in London for four months and. Uh, I was there maybe a week. We went to this rave, and mm -hmm. uh, I was with this girl, and uh, like she was on the same semester that I was. Just kind of met her too. She's a nice girl, but she was a partier, right? Right. And uh, so I remember going with her down to Soho, which was the um, the kind of the gay neighborhood in, in London, and we had to go to a um, this gay store to buy poppers. You wanted poppers? 
You ever hear poppers? I think it's some gas or something they would take, like a, it was like a amyl, ca- amyl nitrate, I think. Yeah, it yeah, it's a caps- it was a capsule or something, and then but they would break the capsule and snort it or whatever. Sniff it. Sniff it, yeah. yeah. And it was apparently supposed to loosen you up if you were going to get into the... Oh, boy, here we go. <laughs> yeah. So if you're in that community and you wanted to, you know, make it easier for whatever to do your thing, you'd loosen up in that way, right, by taking oh, these poppers. But the, but the girl I was with, she wanted to take them. She liked the way it made her feel, like it gave her a buzz of some sort. Mm-hmm. I didn't try it. I didn't care. So uh, I went with her. She had her poppers, and then we ended up uh, going out to this... Uh, it was an old theater, like it was an old, uh, really ornate theater, uh, beautiful, like, you know, like the, we were the, what are those opera seats on the side, you know? Mm-hmm. It was a really nice theater, and they had this band, I think the band, I remember the band's name was called Rub Ultra, they were like a punk rock band. Right. And uh, there were people doing like, uh, like shooting up with something, I don't know what it was, and like smoking different pipes that I'd seen, like I had, all this stuff was a real eye-opening for me. And I remember being terrified, just ter- just terrified. It is terrifying. I can't imagine. Yeah, like I thought uh, for sure, like I was going down that night because like, I never, I never seen it. Like I was amongst peop- bad people that I had never even heard of. You know, like you know, at the time, you know, I th- how old was I? Twenty or twenty-one or something like that. And you know, I and I, and I remember being just fascinated by it. And uh, I remember we met on the way home from that concert. Uh, we met this bum from, he was an Irish bum, and he was selling the, the magazine, Time Out magazine they had. Mm-hmm. And we sat there, uh, this girl and I, and we asked him a bunch of questions like, how do you, like, how do you get the magazine? Like, how does it work to, because we, you're, you have to, he said you had to buy the magazines and then you resell them and stuff like that. And it's a, you got to apply for it. And it's a whole begging bum program that the city puts on right, right yeah and then uh so we it was a nice guy and we said what are you gonna do with the money if we give you money like what are you gonna do with it and he says well i could lie to you and say i'm gonna do something positive i'm probably just gonna get booze and another tattoo or something you know like and then we said okay and we didn't take the magazine but we gave him like a pound or whatever mm-hmm. for talking to us yeah and uh he said he said i love you guys are such a nice couple which we weren't uh he said i'm gonna give you a dab of my sped is what he said a dab of my sped and I had no idea what he meant, but he meant he was going to give me some of his speed as a thank you for being kind to him. He was going to okay. give me some of his speed, right? Which uh, I thought, even at the time, the young, as dumb as I was then, I still thought a bum's speed is probably not the <laughs> safest decision I could have made. So I, I, I thanked him anyways and then went on with my night. But that was my only experience with a rave was, uh, was that particular night. Well, I, I've, uh, Grateful Dead shows are like raves, and we could spend a, another hour talking about those. But I do remember going to one, I guess what you call it, a rave. I was in Nuremberg, Germany at a trade show. And sitting at a bar by myself, uh, getting ready to go to bed, and this girl sitting next to me, she didn't speak English, but she definitely was able to convey that she wanted me to come to, to a dance club with her. So I said, okay, sure. So you, you got to understand Nuremberg, Germany is where they did all the Nazi trials yeah, yeah. after World War II. So she's walking me down a dark alley, and I hear this music. It's like, bum, bum, dum, bum, 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 bum. You could just feel it, right? It was all throughout the air. And I thought, oh, this is going to be a lot of fun, right? Go walking through the front door, and all of a sudden a big arm goes, smacks across my chest and says, you out. And, you know, as my eyes adjusted to the scene, I realized that it was a skinhead neo-Nazi dance party. It was crazy. It was full of uh, probably, 
you know, 500 dudes all wearing different na Nazi outfits with their heads shaved and tattoos. And uh, they took one look at me and just decided it would be much better if I just didn't walk in. <laughs> so they did. They saw you had hair and maybe didn't fit the, the... Well, they could probably... I just had, like, tourists written all over yeah, me. Yeah. And I didn't need to see their craziness. But I could only imagine it would have been interesting. And I'm sure they're not advertising the fact that there's still a big Nazi population in Germany. <laughs> it's not really good for them, right? Well, the youth, of course, uh, will always keep things like that going. But, uh, yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> oh, our friends, the Germans, eh? <laughs> You can win the World Cup, but you can't wash away your shame in history. <laughs> I heard the Germans just, uh, they've got now 50% of their electricity is being produced by uh, solar panels now. Ger yeah, they're so far ahead of us. Mm -hmm. we did, I did a lot of lending for solar panels and, and stuff back when we were getting into it here in Canada. And, uh, and the amount of, like, just the technology... The, how far ahead they are at us, how cheaply they can do it, and all that stuff. Like they're twenty years easy ahead of Canada and Germany on that. It's uh, it's it really is. And what they do with their garbage, and that again, that's a whole other show. We we can we can get to another time. Mm -hmm. We're already at one oh six, and we didn't even get into our freak show yet. Oh no, okay. I don't know. Well, let's do it quick. The first, well, uh, this is what I was doing when I was looking looking at the freak show. There was a guy. Uh, I read an article about this guy. He had like, uh, he was a. He had 232 teeth removed from his jaw, I guess, in India, of course. It's always in India, right? Right. And I used to think, well, there must be something in their water in India because every freak show you hear, it seems to come from India or China. But the, then you think about it long enough, you think, well, they have all the people in the world. So if there's going to be an anomaly, it's probably where the one-third of the world lives, right? Yeah, it could be, or it could be irresponsible uh, manufacturing processes where the rivers are running with just rampant chemicals, benzenes, and you know, yeah, yeah, of yeah. course you're going to get some crazy mutations. Go for a, a swim in the Ganges when you're pregnant is not <laughs> maybe not the best thing? No, I don't think so. <laughs> well, 232 teeth this guy had removed. It was a world's record, and uh, it was basically a tumor, a benign tumor in his jaw, when, and it, it came in the form of teeth, and then there was like a solid matter, and they had to get in with like a hammer and chisel and like whack this this hard like calcium out of his jaw Jeez. and uh, to fix it. Cause Sounds the kids, like my wisdom teeth extraction. <laughs> 272 of them, though. Can you imagine that? And they have a picture like of all the teeth. Can you see that? All the different teeth and the different sizes of teeth that they took out. Holy smokes. So they say at the end of it all, he's going to be left with a regular set of teeth. So that was just a, a, a news article that I saw in there. But what happened on the bottom of that article, on Huff, this is on the Huffington Post, was that there was pictures and I, and, uh, of amazing um, anatomies. Amazing anatomies is what they called it. And they had a whole bunch of what could only be described as kind of freak shows. And I just wanted to talk about some of these stories. We'll go through them quickly. And most of them are also associated with Guinness Book of World Records. So it kind of... This girl here, Donna Simpson of Akron, Ohio, she holds the Guinness record for for being the heaviest woman ever to get bear children. And by bear children, I think it might actually be bear children because this woman is 532 pounds when she gave birth. Not when she gave birth. Before she gave birth, she was she was only like 499. Eh? That baby added a bit of weight to her, so give her a bit of a break. But she gave birth to her daughter Jacqueline. In February 2007, it was an event that required 30 doctors. And when they interviewed Donna about it, she said, uh, they, they asked her how her pregnancy went. 
And they said it basically felt, uh, she goes, it felt like I was just letting myself go a little bit. And it ended with a big shit <laughs> where it required 30 doctors. Uh, what a lovely lady. Yeah. There's a picture of her here if you want to. I can tweet it out later, too. She's a real beauty. What I want to know is if she did get pregnant, this man has. He's an, I bet she's an ectomorph. Oh, my God. He's an ectomorph. To get through all that, eh? you'd have to be. You have to be a tall, skinny guy for sure. Yeah, to get through that, right? Yeah, for sure. It kind of goes to my theory. You know how, like, Asian guys stereotypically have small penises, right? Mm-hmm. And then Asian women have the flat asses. Like, like, <laughs> like uh, stereotypically, of course, right? Not to paint the whole community <laughs> with one brush. I know where you're going with this one. <laughs> you can follow that. White people, again, we're the porridge Goldilocks, eight. You know, our women are yeah. we're average. And then, of course, the, the big... If I see a community, like, black people, of course, have it all... You know, the stereotypes, well, I don't have to get into that. Yeah. But you look at something like a big Puerto Rican, right? Like a big Puerto Rican with all those big, juicy Puerto Rican bums, you know? Right, yeah. Like, I would say, just out of my theory, those Puerto Rican guys got to have be packing big big hogs, eh? <laughs> In order to get penetrated that. <laughs> In order to get to the sweet spot. I yeah, yeah. Get what you're saying. Like, if you see... Um, Puerto Ricans are pretty black, though, aren't they? Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know. How's that work? You think that it is? It's just the blackness in them that Could makes be. their penises so big or their bum so big? I don't know. But it goes in hand in hand is what I'm saying. I think the two have something to do with it. Like Tiger Woods' dad, I would say, would have a small penis because he married an Asian woman. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's how it would work as far as that goes. Anyways, this woman, that woman uh, was 500, how much was she? 532, 532 pounds. There was, uh, and then Pauline Potter, it says she's a 47-year-old. She's 643 pounds, and she earned a spot in 2012 in the Guinness Book of World Record as the world's heaviest woman. And there's a nice picture of her just smiling on the couch. And she looks like uh, nothing really special there. But then there's this girl here. like Honey Boo Boo's mom. Yeah, she's just a big old fat girl, right? Yeah, yeah. This girl here, Susan Eamon. She did not like the fact that these two women had their records. So what she decided to do, she's a big model. She models for a living. And uh, she's, 32 year old, she's a 32-year-old single mother of two from uh, Casa Grande. And uh, when she was, um, she did not win the Guinness Book of World Record for being the fattest woman to give birth, or the heaviest woman to give birth. So that means right now she's tipping the scales at 700 pounds, which means since her children, she gained probably two or 300 pounds. Mm-hmm. And uh, she is making it her goal to get the Guinness Book of World Records for the heaviest woman in history. The only reason she doesn't have a record currently is because she's too lazy to do it because she didn't even have an exact weight on this thing. And she just showed a picture of herself. If you look at this picture, Tom, she kind of looks like one of those giant pumpkins from the fair. You know... You know how they have, like, the giant pumpkin contest at the <laughs> county fair? More like the giant squash, I think. They're more, more, you know, more the fl- gnarly. The flesh just kind of spills out of her, eh? Oh but God. she's actually made it her goal. Like, she's, she probably let herself go with her kids, started gaining the weight, maybe got some attention from it, and then got into big girl modeling. Now she's actually making it her goal to disable herself so that she can become the fattest woman in the world. It's her personal goal to do so. Yeah, that's pretty sad. Obviously, she... Has some mental health issues, but jeepers, creepers. You're well, right. that, that leads you to believe, though, that this Guinness Book, a world's record, it actually has like a some sort of a, uh, 
like it's somewhat sort of an accomplishment for these people that they can hang their hat on the fact that there it's actually you needed 30 doctors to help you give birth to your child because you were too overweight and instead of making it a source of great shame you pose on the internet are you wearing a a, a sports bra <laughs> with all your shit hanging everywhere and you're proud that you're in Guinness Book of World Record. I, I just don't they, understand. I think they get paid for that, though. For the Guinness Book? Do you get paid? I think you might. I don't know. I should ask Lucas Wilson. He's got three of them. This was a girl. Then there, that led me to this next girl, the hairiest girl in the world. And this is a girl. I don't know where she is. She's from uh, Bangkok, Thailand. She's named the hairiest girl in the world. There's a picture of her eating a, a bowl of spaghetti. And uh, they said that she was... Uh, she was like horrified. This girl's got hair to describe what her she looks like. She looks like a normal little girl who has an, her entire face. What part of her face can you actually see there, Tom? Just under her lip. Just under, un under her lower lip. That's about it. But her forehead, her cheeks, like her entire body has got huge, long, thick hair. And it says that she was named by Guinness Book to be the hairiest woman in the world. And that gave that award has boosted her confidence. And now she's taken up dancing, singing, and acting. Uh, she's going to be seen in such uh, productions as uh, The Shaggy Dog. <laughs> Wolfman Returns. Old Yeller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most of her, uh, she actually is in The Wizard of Oz, I think, starring in Bangkok as Toto. You know, it's funny. If she, when she grows up, um, there's a group that I was just at the Paul McCartney concert in Pittsburgh last week, and they had the furry conference there. These people all dressed up as animals, and I believe it's part of a fetish thing that they have. You they saw were, the furries there? Yeah, the furries were in our hotel. And were they milling about the lobby or like... Oh, yeah, they were still getting, move, leaving, I guess. We got there on a Monday, so they were all malingering around. I think Sunday was their big day, and there were people waiting around the lobbies. They had on um, those slippers that we sometimes get for a joke while they were wearing those like feet and tails and ears but none of the, the full costumes. I think they're a little warm for them, and they probably need to be dry cleaned. Oh, so they weren't wearing the full heads and everything. They were in, like, no. just, just like animals. Yeah, they were, like, like dressed down furries. Then they all were carrying their costumes and things wrapped up in, in bags. It was quite interesting to see. But it is... I, I see that, and I, I really... If I had sons, I would definitely not allow them to play video games because every single dude that was in there looked like he just spent his entire life in front of a video game console. And oh, I, think, really? I think maybe that's why that fetish evolves for them because they don't have to be themselves. Oh, they yeah. can wear a costume and all of a sudden now they're cute. Dude, is it is it sexual though? Like I looked it up just because I had to know when I was there and it's called furry fandom and it is a form of fetishism. Oh yeah. And they I guess get together and they they perform sex acts wearing these costumes so they pretend that they're furry little animals and and then the animals mate in the forest and or something mate, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So this was a whole Weston Conference Center that was, I guess, packed. I talked to a, a guest who had been there on the weekend. He said it was quite quite something to see. They say that like the, the that the um, your fetish, if you have a fetish, uh, it's usually some sort of like childhood like trauma or some sort of childhood event that gets stuck in your mind, and that's what you're you got to get hung up on. Mm -hmm. And they say that's why a lot of people have foot fetishes because. A lot of times the way mothers will hold their baby is that they're kind of like held looking down at their feet, at the oh, mother's okay. feet, and that right. they're always looking at the mother's feet, and they become fixated on feet. Hmm. And uh, it's just a theory, but uh, to try to figure out why people are freaky that way. But 
I don't know. So, so I take it if you had like a shit fetish that your mother was carrying you, hanging, <laughs> looking at your ass. I guess. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> like a poop, back, uh, upside down in a backpack. I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, yeah. Shit fetishes would be one that I can't even. I can't. Ex- I don't know if anyone can explain them. <laughs> I remember uh, growing up in uh, Fort Erie, there was a uh, buffalo uh, f- station um, weatherman who was on one of the big three and talked to a woman who actually dated him and he requested at their last date because she wasn't into it, but that he, uh, he wanted to lay under his coffee table and have her defecate on it. That's what that was. He wanted to. Yeah. That was his thing. Lay a big, big steamy pile of wet hay on the top of the table. Yeah. So he could watch it all taking place from underneath and pleasure himself. But this guy, like, if I I won't name names because, geez, who knows? I could get in trouble for that <laughs> one. But he was he was around for a long time on Man. one of the big networks. Oh, really? Yeah, like Buffalo Station, though. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. oh, he wasn't a network network guy. Just a he, dirty guy. Yeah. He was the local uh, local one of the local guys. Was he prob Was he a straight laced guy? Well, you know, I mean, he came across as being straight laced, and he was uh, a weatherman. So, I mean, they yeah, yeah. they don't really have a reputation of being wild and crazy. That's all the ones. You, that's always the ones you have to w- w- look out for. Is always the ones that are reserved, like the politicians and the priests and the we- and, and all the people of <laughs> <The> priests. <whoa. laughs> yeah, well, they're the ones that are like always sitting there with this public persona and they're doing the freaky things that end up, you know, the regular human beings who are just have our our open like faults that we all have, you know, like mm. we're all dirty, but we don't have to get into the details of it. Keep uh, it, keep it to yourself. Yeah, we're fine. Too, I, yeah, right? yeah. It's the ones that kind of put this like squeaky clean persona out there. They're always, they're always the ones that are like doing some unspeakable thing, you know, like <laughs> they get caught for, you know, like blowing guys in rest stops and stuff like that. Oh God. And then passing legislation against gay marriage. At the same time, you know, like just... Well, now you're talking politics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's all self-preservation. It's all about looking after the money, right? Right. Well, anyways, Tommy, uh, one more uh, freak show to end the show on. This has been great having you here today. Thanks, buddy. This one, fun. this is from two people who have two girls and uh, happy with our families, but beautiful families. Both have daughters. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a gentleman in um, India, always India. Uh, Guru Kalesh Singh of India has refused to bathe for 37 years in the hopes that the gods will bless him with a son after the birth of seven daughters. So this is a guy who doesn't share our joy in our daughters. Uh, but for 37 years, he hasn't taken a bath. And uh, so number one, uh, 37 years, he hasn't taken a bath. He's had seven daughters. He probably stopped taking the bath maybe after, what, the third or fourth daughter? <laughs> But uh, he's elderly. You look at him, he's elderly. Uh, you figure that he would stop trying eventually to have kids, but uh, I'm sure the bathing's going to prevent him from uh, from more fornication, wouldn't it? Well, I don't know. It depends. Maybe his wife likes him stinky. She likes the pheromones that are pouring off this, this stinky Indian. Old man, yes. You never yeah. know. Well, that's disgusting. So we're going to end it on disgusting. Uh, thank you very much, everyone, for coming back uh, to Live from the Dutch Hall. Uh, we hope uh, you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, uh, Dutch Hall on Twitter, go on Facebook, Live from the Dutch Hall on f- uh, Facebook. Go on my website, Live from the Dutch Hall, and click on the Amazon banner to help us out. And uh, go to t- the concert in TP, see some of the friends of the show that are on August 3rd. 
Thank you very much for everyone for listening, and we'll see you again next, almost next week. Good night, everybody. Thanks.